The Bible tells us to forgive, but often the hardest person to forgive is you. If you're finding it difficult to be at peace with yourself for something a day ago or decades ago, then don't miss this. This is the Shut Up Devil Show. I'm Kyle Winkler, author of the book, Shut Up Devil, created the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life. And I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join us live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Okay, we're talking about forgiving yourself. Now, believe it or not, there are some people who will argue the Bible doesn't mention forgiving yourself. And technically, yeah, that's true. There's not a Bible verse that says forgive you, but the Bible doesn't directly mention depression. It doesn't directly mention cancer. It doesn't directly mention the internet. There are a lot of things the Bible doesn't directly mention, yet its principles affect all of those things. So when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, I'd say it's common sense that in order to live as one who is forgiven, live at peace with yourself live without the guilt and the shame, you have to forgive yourself. And there's the issue for many of us. We're living with the effects of unforgiveness or hatred towards ourselves. You know, scientists say that upwards of 75% of doctor's visits and a lot of the sickness that we deal with is related to emotional stress. And the pent-up anger and the guilt and the resentment that we hold toward ourselves is a big part of that. Actually, that anger, that tension, has a physical effect on our brains. It influences our nervous system, our hormones. So, while I'm no doctor, I'll suggest that maybe some of the weird physical symptoms that you're experiencing that you just can't quite seem to figure out what the root is, Maybe it's rooted in the stress of unforgiveness toward yourself, of not being able to be at peace with yourself. But besides any physical effects that it has, not being able to forgive yourself paralyzes you. Self-unforgiveness keeps you from being able to show up to opportunities and relationships out of the fear that you'll be judged or that you'll be found out. Now, even if we don't have a direct teaching from Jesus or Paul or anyone in Scripture about forgiving ourselves, we see the effects it has on people in Scripture. We could talk about King David. He had an affair with Bathsheba and plotted her husband's murder, no small thing. Yet he continued to advance as king of Israel and maintained one of the most intimate relationships with God as anyone in Scripture. And that's not because he denied wrongdoing or because he became callous to sin. But I'd say that it's because he accepted God's forgiveness and therefore was able to find peace with himself. And it's the same with the Apostle Peter. At the most crucial time, just after Jesus' arrest, he denied knowing Jesus three times. The Bible says that when he realized what he did, he went away and wept bitterly. And if you continue reading through the story, it looks to me like he kind of sulks and remains paralyzed until after Jesus' resurrection when Jesus pulls him aside 
and reaffirms his love and his plan for him. It's at that point that Peter accepts God's forgiveness, and it seems he's able to forgive himself because he went on to fulfill the destiny that Jesus foretold when he first called him to be a disciple. We're going to come back to Peter's story toward the end of this message. But for now, contrast Peter with Judas. They both were apostles. They both heard Jesus' radical teachings about God's love and forgiveness. And they both betrayed Jesus in a way. Peter, it seems, was eventually able to forgive himself and move on, as I said. Judas wasn't. His case illustrates the most extreme, most extreme end of self-unforgiveness and hatred and the destruction that it can lead to. So to kind of encapsulate the point of these few examples so far, those who are able to maintain an intimate relationship with God and fulfill his good plans for their lives, they were the ones who were able to forgive themselves. They weren't perfect ones, and that's important to say, because sometimes I think we look at people, especially those around us, and we think that they arrived to where they are because they didn't make any mistakes. That's about as false as anything can be. Nobody makes no mistakes. Just like we see in Scripture, it's often those who have made the largest mistakes who arrived to some positive position or a positive place because they were able to learn from their mistakes without hating themselves for making the mistakes. Now, to be sure, this doesn't happen overnight. You don't always find peace with yourself overnight. You don't always move on from things overnight. Most of the time you don't. Many people go through a season of being paralyzed before they finally snap out of it. And I can say that I was one of them. There was a time in my life, in my late 20s, when failures all the way back to potty training added up in my mind and all the shame of who I was and who I wasn't came to the forefront. I wallowed around for a bit in self-hatred. I just didn't think I could go on with the call of God on my life anymore. When I look back on what snapped me out of it, and snapped might not even be the right word for it, because as I said, it's not an overnight thing. It's really a process of mind renewal, of unlearning lies. But when I look back on the process to true self-forgiveness and self-acceptance, I see the same things I see in the stories of people like David and Peter, even the Apostle Paul. The first thing which I think is paramount is the acknowledgement of being human. You know, I hear from people all the time who have lived with self-hatred for years, all because a religious idea was instilled into them that they had to strive for perfection. They were told, made to believe, that God expected them to somehow overcome their humanity and be flawless. And so every mistake, every failure, every bad thought even was a reminder to them of just how wrong they are. Well, often, when we can't forgive ourselves, when we're not at peace with ourselves, it's because we're holding ourselves to a standard that even God knows that we can't meet. Now, somebody says, yeah, but didn't Jesus say to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? I could teach an entire message on that one. Just one verse is where that comes from in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. I'll just give you a couple points for now on this. First, in context, 
Context is always important. But in context, Jesus is speaking to them about loving people. And he's likening God's holiness, God's perfection to God's love. But secondly, like most of his Sermon on the Mount, he's not giving us a new code of conduct to live by. He's not upping the bar, making it harder. No, he's speaking to Jewish people who thought that they could achieve righteousness through the law. So he's challenging them, essentially saying, I mean, if, if you think works are going to make you right, then try these, but you can't do it. It's not works that make you holy. If there's anything to make your goal, make your goal to love people like God does, and you'll see that even you can't do that. So you're not going to be perfect. When the Bible talks about being perfect, it's never a command to somehow be flawless. The entire reason Jesus came to this earth and died as a sacrifice for our sins is because we can't be good enough on our own. So Jesus did it for us. The Apostle Paul understood that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle John said that it's a lie to claim that we don't sin. So all we can do is pretend to be perfect, but we can't actually be it. Yet by pretending, maybe we fool some people. The most can see through our self-righteousness, I think. So all we're really doing is fooling ourselves and hurting ourselves. Because trying to uphold a standard of perfection that God knows you can't achieve only keeps you hating yourself. So hear me. You have permission to be imperfect. And I don't just say that because I just finished writing a book with that title, but I wrote a book with that title because it's the truth. You'll do better when you take that in. Let yourself off the hook for trying to be something that God knows you can't be. You can't be superhuman. You can't be flawless. The first real step into forgiving yourself is to admit and acknowledge that you are human and God's okay with that. He's not surprised by that. But the next step is to accept what God did for that. He sent Jesus to forgive you, to forgive you of your humanity. You have to accept God's forgiveness. That's really what this is about. You got to take it to heart. You can't find peace with yourself unless you know you're at peace with God. You have to know his forgiveness. Now, obviously, that includes stuff from your past. Jesus died to cleanse us of our sin. That's Christianity 101. And I'm talking about every kind of sin, which I have to say because I get questions like, does God's forgiveness cover this sin? You know, the enemy wants to make you insecure about forgiveness. So he insinuates, to use a word that has sin in it, he insinuates all kinds of reasons why God's forgiveness doesn't apply to this sin or that sin. But you have to know there is not a sin that can be named that Jesus didn't die for. Jesus died to forgive murder. He died to forgive adultery. He died to forgive sexual impurity and sexual brokenness. He died to forgive cheating. He died to forgive drug abuse. He died to forgive betrayal, even betrayal of him. You just have to accept that he did it. Now, maybe somebody says, but doesn't the New Testament mention a sin that can't be forgiven, an unpardonable sin? Yeah, it does. 
And while the enemy likes to make that out to be some fill-in-the-blank sin, which is always, you know, the worst one that you're dealing with, in context, the unpardonable sin, or as Hebrews puts it, the sin for which there's no sacrifice, is unbelief. That's it. Everything else is covered. More than covered. Everything else is cleansed with your faith in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul here lists out, starting in verse 9, he lists out a bunch of vices and various identities that would have been the most egregious to Jewish law. And he's doing that then to show the radicalness of forgiveness, which he then reveals in verse 11. He says, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right. How? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So friend, whatever's coming to your mind right now, if there's any what about this one that's coming to your mind, shut it up and shut it down. It is forgiven. You cannot forgive yourself unless you accept that God has first forgiven you of everything. Now, I'm not saying that you don't still deal with some physical or emotional consequences of things you've done. That's part of the sad reality of living in the fallen world. We do still deal with the scars of our own actions. But that doesn't mean that you aren't forgiven by God, and that doesn't mean you can't forgive yourself, even if it means that you can't forget it. Forgiveness and forgetting are two very different things, and I'll probably talk a little bit more about that later in this message. But on this point, often we can't forgive ourselves because something still persists in our lives. And that could be a memory of what happened, which stings when you're reminded of it. We all still have some of those. I still have some of those. But often we can't forgive ourselves because of an imperfection of the flesh that still persists and might persist forever. Don't stone me just yet. Hear me out on this one. Crucial to accepting God's forgiveness is accepting God's forgiveness of present and future stuff. And this isn't just wishful thinking. God's forgiveness of past, present, and future sins is gospel truth that you can be confident of. It's not based on conjecture. It's not a doctrine built out of one verse. But it's a theme repeated by just about every New Testament writer. First, that verse that I showed you just a few minutes ago right here in 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, but you were cleansed. That's not talking about a past cleansing that has to be redone every time you mess up. It's talking about a permanent cleansing, an identity change that happened upon your belief, a cutting out of your sin nature and you getting a new nature, a righteous nature. I go into all of that in my book, Shut Up Devil. I talk about how the Greek word there is actually an aorist verb, which means past, present, and future. You were cleansed. You are cleansed. You will remain cleansed. That's what it's saying. A trinity of forgiveness. Even if that thing that you hate that thing that the devil tells you that God hates, even if that thing is still in you, still a part of you, you have to know the Bible is clear that you, the real you, is cleansed. But like I said, that's not the only verse that says something like this. 
Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, said that Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 12, that our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Jesus' beloved disciple John said it too. Look at 1 John 1, 9. He says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, John isn't talking here about case-by-case forgiveness, by the way. He's not saying when you sin as a Christian, then you ask God to forgive you, and then he forgives you, and then you sin again, and you ask him to forgive you, and he forgives you over and over and over again. No, John here is talking about salvation, about how when you acknowledge your sins to the Lord at the moment of your salvation, he forgives you, and you are forgiven, you are cleansed of all wickedness, of all unrighteousness, once and for all. Forever forgiven in Christ. That's what John's talking about. If you continue to read on, you'll see that's what he means. So friend, be assured, if you are in Christ, you're not someone in need of forgiveness. You are a totally forgiven person. That's as true as anything can be, whether or not you feel like it or act like it. But wouldn't you like to feel like it or act like it? Wouldn't you like to not be paralyzed by the guilt, the shame, and the insecurity of self-unforgiveness or self-hatred? Wouldn't you like to be at peace with yourself? That's why you're listening, right? That's where the application of forgiveness comes in. You know, a lot of people will say that to feel loved or to feel saved or to feel, in this case, forgiven, you have to get the truth from your head to your heart. But I've realized it's just the opposite. You see, the Bible says that God poured his love into our hearts. Even more than that, it says that with our salvation, we receive new hearts. We receive the heart of Christ. So really, it isn't about getting what's in your head to your heart. Your head, your thoughts are the problem. You don't want to get your stinking thinking into your heart. You want to get what's in your heart into your head. That's the renewal of mind. And that's what ultimately trickles down to affect your feelings and your actions and attitudes and everything else. And it's also scientific, by the way. I go into depth about it in my Shut Up Devil book, but you know your brain is the control center of your life. It dictates everything. Your brain tells you how to move. It tells you how to act, how to react. It tells you what to feel. It tells you what to see. It tells you what you hear. I mean, seriously, interprets all of that and tells your body what to do with the signals that it brings in. On that point, I discovered something just last week about how the brain works. I sleep with a white noise machine. Well, in the last few weeks, I was sure that I was hearing a consistent musical chime in the background of the white noise. I mean, I'm like, is there music? To this white noise, or am I going crazy, or what? But it was keeping me awake because it was just consistent ding, ding, ding. Like I said, I was afraid I was going mad. So I looked it up online. And sure enough, it's a thing that the brain does with noise, especially constant noise like white noise. Essentially, the brain 
constantly searches for a pattern in the noise and tries to interpret it. It tries to make sense of it. And when it thinks that it's honed in on something, it basically creates that sound so that you believe that you're actually hearing it. I mean, it's as good as if you are hearing it. Perception is reality, right? So you perceive that you're hearing this thing. It sounds like it. It keeps you up at night just like real noise. It's fascinating, right? So my point is your brain dictates everything in your life. So if you want to truly act like a forgiven person, which includes being able to forgive yourself, you have to change your way of thinking according to the truths that we just explored. Cancel out your thoughts of, I'm a horrible person. I never do anything right. With truths about who you are in Christ. And in time, you'll start to see yourself accordingly. You'll hold yourself accordingly. You'll even hear yourself accordingly. Because what you believe will interpret everything else that comes in and out of your life. You will interpret yourself as a totally forgiven person. And that's going to change how you act and react. Okay, I said we'd come back to the Apostle Peter's story. And this is essentially what Jesus led him to do, which led him to his destiny as a leader in the early church. As I said earlier, Peter betrayed Jesus with three denials. When he realized the magnitude of what he had done, the Bible says that he wept bitterly. That's understandable. And while we don't know how much about what all Peter did for the next several weeks, we do know that after Jesus' resurrection, he went back to fishing at the same spot where Jesus first called him. It seems like he was sulking. Maybe in the process of giving up, I don't know. But Jesus pulled him aside. And the story starts in John chapter 21, verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. It goes on to say that Jesus asked him the question again, do you love me? Peter said, yes. Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? Peter said, yes. And all three times Jesus said, then feed my sheep. So the way I see it is that Jesus mercifully met Peter right at the place where he was first called and commissioned. Same place, out fishing, feeling defeated. And he allowed Peter to hear him repeat his love for him. And in doing this, he canceled out each of Peter's denials by helping him acknowledge the truth that, yes, although Peter did fail, he really did love him. So in this, Jesus spoke peace and death's need to Peter's sense of unworthiness. Basically, Jesus said, despite your failures, I know that you love me. And the plan is still in place. So go do it. And Peter did it. Having full confidence of God's love, Peter did it. Now, he wasn't perfect from there on out. He was still a human. Undoubtedly, he didn't forget that he denied Jesus, but he made a decision. You see, that's the case with forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. It's not a feeling. It's not a forgetting. Whether it's with you or somebody else, it's a decision. He made a decision. Knowing that Jesus forgave him and loves him, he was able to make a decision that he is a forgiven person 
and he is a loved person. He got it from his heart to his head, and God used him mightily from there. So friend, this is as true for you as it was for Peter. You are a loved person. You're a loved human, flaws and all. And the more and more and more you get that into your head, the more and more that you can believe that. And I pray right now that God helps you believe that. Because the more and more that you can believe that, that you were loved just as you are, the more you'll be able to love yourself. And that's huge when it comes to forgiveness. Because it's easier to forgive someone you love. You know that in your relationships, right? Over the years in my life, I've known at least a few toxic people. I've been friends with at least a few toxic people. And by that, I mean people who hurt me time and time again, yet I continued to forgive them for at least a while and allow them into my life. Why? Because I loved them. Because I was able to overlook their flaws, sometimes foolishly, because I loved them. Whereas if I were not to have any feelings for that person or not to really like them, it would have been much easier for me to just ice them out of my life and not think twice. But someone I love, it's usually easier to forgive. And that might just be the paramount key to forgiving yourself, to overcoming self-hatred, to finding peace with yourself, whatever you want to call it. Accept that you are loved by God. Accept that in Christ you are forgiven by God, not just of past sins, but you are completely forgiven of things in the present, even things in the future. You are clean and redeemed. You are close to God. He isn't surprised about anything about you. He knew it all before you were born. The Bible says that he saw your days recorded in his book. So he knew what you do and what you deal with. All that is baked into your plan. So God isn't upset or disappointed about how you turned out. And what's more, because of Jesus, he doesn't count any of it against you. So I pray that you're able to apply the same grace to yourself that God has given you. Okay, when it comes to dealing with the vices of life, you know what the Apostle Paul advises? It's super simple. Ephesians 4.24, he says to put on your new nature. Well, put on is simply a word that means identify with it, accept it, accept the truth of your new nature in Christ. See it as who you are, which as I said in the message, is loved and forgiven and made new. Well, I have a practical tool to help you do that, to help you get those truths from your heart to your head so that you begin to see and hear and hold yourself accordingly. It's this who I am in Christ mirror cling. This is a vinyl static cling, which clings to any solid surface like a mirror. And on it are six fundamental truths about your new nature in Christ and the supporting scriptures for them. This is designed, as I said, to cling to your mirror. It's not a sticker. It's a static cling. So every time you look at yourself in the mirror, you actually see yourself according to God's truths, according to your new nature, what he says about you. And you may order your two or five pack of our Who I Am in Christ mirror clings at kylewinkler.org slash clings. 
Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he's for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.